Hey, this is Daniel Connell, production designer. You are listening to the Practical Worship Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Practical Worship Podcast. I'm Dave Dolphin and this is a show designed to help you lead a worship band and be a leader of people. And we release a new episode on the first Friday of every single month. So make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast on whatever app you're using to listen to your podcast. And hey, Happy New Year. This episode is episode number 10, which officially puts us into the double digits. And our guest today is Daniel Connell. Daniel is a lighting designer that has worked with everyone from Switchfoot and Michael W. Smith and Audio Adrenaline back in the day to now working with Jesus Culture and Mosaic Church and the Passion Conference, just to name a few. And somewhere in the middle of all that, he was on staff full-time as the main lighting designer for Church on the Move in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And that's how I know him, because I saw his work at COTM and I appreciated his style to the point that I asked him to come down to Oklahoma City and help about our church to set up our lights. Now, if you're a worship pastor and you don't know much about how your church designs the lights, this conversation is actually perfect for you. We don't get too technical into fixtures and what lighting console is best and all the how-tos of running lights in church. In fact, I don't think we even say the word DMX one time in this interview. Instead, Daniel and I talk about why the worship pastor needs to be involved when it comes to programming the lights for a Sunday morning worship service and how they can be involved and what that looks like and how the worship band itself and even the venue size affects how the lights should be designed. Daniel is one of the best, I think, at creating lighting looks that are understated. He His designs are beautiful and they're powerful, but it doesn't feel like a show. It just feels like a natural extension of what the band is doing, which is why I think I like his style so much. Daniel is also really good at predicting the future when it comes to collegiate sporting events. That's going to make more sense in just a moment. But first, the product of the month is the AirTurn Duo. The AirTurn Duo is a Bluetooth device that connects to any other device and allows you to control it with one of the two foot pedals. The most common use for the AirTurn Duo is to use it to turn the pages of your music if you're using your iPad as a music stand. But because it's basically a simple keyboard like any other Bluetooth keyboard that you would have for your computer or your iPad, it's just a keyboard with two buttons on it, you can use it to control anything that is Bluetooth. Any tablet, your iPhone, Android phone, your MacBook, a Windows Surface, anything like that. I've used it to start and stop our track with Ableton Live. I've known people that use it to control their main stage patches when they're playing keys or even electric guitar or bass. And for those that do video production and use a teleprompter, you can use the AirTurn to control the speed of the text. The AirTurn Duo is the one that I've used the most, but there's also a quad version that has four pedals. And then there's also a few Stompbox style ones that have two, four, even six programmable buttons. These things are durable and super easy to set up. And I'll put a link to the AirTurn Duo in the show notes. In fact, as we mention things throughout the episode, we'll put links to those things in the show notes as well. You can find those at practicalworshipblog.com slash podcast 10. And that's the number 10. And now here's my conversation with Daniel Connell.
Daniel Connell, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, man. Good to be here. Okay, so what I think is really interesting about this conversation right now is that um, when we are recording this podcast, they have just announced the the Orange Bowl with Alabama and in Oklahoma, and I know that you have roots. Uh, in Alabama, and I went to the University of Oklahoma, and that's like 20 minutes from me. But when this podcast is going to release, it'll actually be a couple of days after the game. So the people listening to this podcast right now already know the outcome of the game. Is this something like, are you following this game at all? Dave, we already know the outcome of the game. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hang on now. Uh, Oklahoma had a great year, but nobody has beaten Alabama and Saban. Hey, our our defense was starting to do things towards the end of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Starting to. Here's what I'll say. I don't don't expect it to be a complete blowout. Uh, OU's offense is great. Murray is great. I'll even say this. I'm of the opinion that I think Murray deserves a Heisman over Tua this year. Uh, yeah, because uh, Tua, I, I think he's awesome, love him, but I think he's a Heisman guy next year. As a freshman, I just don't think he's there yet. He had a hard, horrible game with uh, Georgia, and that's that's kind of what took it out of that for me. So, But as far as like overall team, man, I don't – see, and I, I promise I'm not an obnoxious Alabama fan, but you just can't beat Alabama this year. It's just not going to happen. And, <laughs> o, I mean, OU's great, but they, they, they haven't been that dominant team the way that, that Alabama has. So – I reserve the right to be wrong. Uh, this is being recorded, you know, well in advance, so I may be eating my words uh, if that if that happens. But uh, well, if if Alabama and you got to understand too that this is coming from the guy that uh, I actually worked for uh, a, the sports talk station in town, uh, which I think they have uh, up in the Tulsa area too, uh, the sports animal, and so I worked there. But I'm not I'm not a sports guy. I literally had Curtis Fitzpatrick sit down and say, okay basketball and he just like lay it out (laughs) and like and so in order for me to do my job making promos and things like that i needed to kind of understand it but i loved it i love every single minute that i worked at that radio station but i'm just i'm not that guy but here's the thing so if alabama wins this is this is what i would say that it was it was a valiant effort i think both teams played really well i had really good seasons and it was just a hard-fought game but at the very end i mean alabama just you know outplayed them and and i just say congratulations to alabama they did a fantastic job and i I think it was a good year of college football okay so now we'll do an edit point and uh and if oklahoma wins the game i knew it i knew it i knew they would do it we dominated we totally dominated that game boomer sooner oh i'm calling alabama by 14 we'll see We'll, we'll see I don't think it'll be one of those blowouts like they've had earlier in the season where it's, you know, Alabama in the 50s or 60s and OU at, you know, in the teens. Because uh, OU's got a great offense, but it's, it's yeah, I'm, so I'll call it now. Alabama by 14. Maybe next year if we can get this defense thing figured out, we'll see what happens. So Maybe. Anyway. Maybe. Well, you and I kind of go way back because yeah. many, many years ago when uh, I was first coming on staff at a church, which was my, my previous church, this was my first time going into worship ministry and doing these kinds of things full time. And uh, you are the very first person that I reached out to. I didn't even have, have the job yet. 
but I reached out saying, okay, if this happens, if this connects, I want to connect with you and I want to pick your brain because uh, at the time I saw some of the things that you were doing at Church on the Move up in Tulsa and I, and I couldn't put my finger on it in terms of like why it was different or why I liked it over maybe some of the other things that I was seeing, but it just seemed to fit better within the context of of church and everything that was going on and what was what made COTM special at that moment. And so I knew, okay, I didn't fully understand it and I can't explain it, but I, I, I need to learn more. And so when we came in, you know, we worked together a little bit and you helped us uh, redesign some lights and some philosophies and things like that. And so I, there's always been something about uh, your work and how you design that, uh, I, that I've really appreciated. And I think that you've, you've really kind of helped churches to navigate this field as far as like, okay, we're bringing lights and production into the church. We've been doing that the last couple of decades and, and doing so in a way that is appropriate to, to what is going on. And so I wanted to ask you, like when you, you know, how would you describe your, like your role in this process? And, you know, for anyone that that's listening and you know, you've got a collection of people that you got a worship pastor and you got music and you got band members and someone's running sound, maybe there's a drama team, like there's various people coming together to create and make Sunday happen. And so for that person that is designing the lights for, for the service, like how do you view your role in that entire creative process? Now, I, I view it as a completely supportive role. So we're not initiating the content. We're not creating the, the content. We're not trying to tell the story ourselves. We're trying to help tell that story. So the, you know, the, the issue comes when maybe that uh, a creative team hasn't done enough of the work on their side to figure out what that story is. And so then we have nothing to support. You know, this is something you and I have talked about before, but I, I view lighting, especially in terms of a standard ch- church service, for more of a theatrical approach than I do a concert type approach. You know, if, if you've ever, ever seen a Broadway show, you've ever been to theater, you, you would not go to, you know, see Hello, Dolly, and then just see lights flashing all over the place because that doesn't help tell the story. You know, you, you, when you go to see um, Jesus Christ Superstar, you might see that because it's more of a, it has more of a concert feel to it. It's more of a flashy production. Um, Lion King, they're going to they're gonna use color and, and lighting and angles and everything that help, that help support the way the artistic design of that story. What we're doing in a church service is no different. And I know that the, the elements may feel very different, so that may be a little bit hard thing for a lot of people to connect. But what we're trying to do is take the story being told. Here's what I mean by the story being told. Um, when a worship leader, and you could speak into this much even much better than I can, but when a worship leader is picking songs for uh, a service, I think most of the time they're picking songs that tie into the message in some ways. They're trying to pick songs that maybe tie into the series uh, of what's being done. And through those songs, they are conveying emotion. You know, it may be, it may be happiness and joy of, of singing songs of praise. You know, it may be songs of tension as you're talking, you know, the song that tells about struggles that we go through and the way God uh, intercedes in our life through those struggles. There are lighting elements that we can use to help support those. And unfortunately, they're not, the difficulty for a lot of people is I think they're not as obvious as, um, so like when I talk about theatrical lighting, lighting a space to look like the inside of a room or lighting a space to look like daytime or something like that is a pretty obvious use of lighting to tell a story. Um, when you're trying to use lighting to just help convey emotion, it's not nearly as obvious a use, and it's a, it's a lot more difficult. But so to kind of go back to your original question, what do I see my role being? 
my role is to try and understand that emotion myself first. You know, some songs are just, they're just happy songs. They're just upbeat songs. You know, a lot of times that's the first song to set. And so there's not, you know, beyond just like happiness and energy, there's not a lot of like deep emotion to get into there. So I try and light it appropriately. Then as a, as a service progresses musically, a lot of times they get into the more worshipful, the deeper songs as you get into it. You know, that's, that's a song two, a song three, a song four. So at that point, I'm trying to support that visually. I'm trying to introduce drama visually. I'm using darker colors. I'm, I'm using uh, more angled light. I'm using more silhouette stuff. And those are, those are things where an, an, an average viewer isn't going to sit in the audience and go, oh, well, the lights are this way, so now I now feel this way. No, it, it, it requires an understanding of the way light affects us as people and the way it affects what we're feeling. So I've probably kind of gone into the deep end here a little bit on answering your question. But hey, it's the Practical Worship <laughs> Podcast. I see my role as trying to first understand the story that the worship leaders and pastors and whoever else is involved in crafting the service is trying to tell and then figuring out the best way to convey that visually. Yeah, and even like you, know, you think about music, like different songs have a different feel like you know the fact that it feels happy it's a lot of major chords or it's you know it's uh it's you know big and bold but then there's also moments in a set where it's it's like really really kind of moody and uh it's maybe more intimate and just finding that and so you know just being able to use different you know textures and color like color is a big huge thing in terms of like being able to set a mood i going back to the theatrical thing i've i've heard some people say that like if you're the person tasked with making the set pieces for like a drama piece and that curtain opens and everyone claps because they're so uh wowed by the set pieces Mm -hmm. then that person would say that they failed yeah absolutely and so i would the same thing with lighting like people shouldn't know like like you said like you know oh those lights are coming up or they're doing this or whatever so i therefore should feel this way like they can't they they shouldn't be able to explain it Mm-hmm. but they sensed it. Like when they start describing it, hey, I felt this way or this song really moved me and here's why, you as a lighting designer in the back of your mind is like, huh, yeah, I help with that. Yeah. One of the more difficult um, conversations I have with, with creative teams, because um, you know, now as, as part of what I do, I get to work with a lot of different creative teams in a lot of different places, both churches and otherwise. And especially with churches, one of the more difficult conversations is when we're talking about um, you know, them getting me content to, to program to for the lighting. And um, a lot of worship teams will go, oh, we're doing this Hillsong song, or we're doing this Lauren Daigle song, or we're doing this whoever else song, and they will send me the copy of that band doing that song to program to. And that's where the difficult conversation comes in, because then I have to go back to them and go, no, I need a recording of you doing it. And they'll go, oh, we're using the same arrangement. You know, it's, everything's the same. I'm like, no, everything's not the same. And I'm not talking about quality. And and that's where this is really this is where the difficult part of the conversation comes in. I'm not talking about quality. I'm not saying that Hillsong can sing the song better than you can. But even down to individual vocalists, emotion is expressed differently through a song depending on who's singing it. Um, you know, taking it back to Church on the Move, um, they are very fortunate to have some uh, a variety of wonderful worship leaders. But whether or not Andy Chrisman is leading a song or whether or not Jordan Weston is leading a song is going to change the way I program it. And I know not everybody has the the bandwidth, the capacity, the ability to spend time getting to that level of detail. But I'm using that more as an example of, yes, emotion is expressed 
through these songs, and it's expressed at very finite levels down to just who's singing it. And this is this is an assumption on my part, but I even think that a voice, of course, has a lot to do with the way that comes across. But I even think life experience oh totally changes the way that a person might lead a song. Like I think you know, I think that the way Andy Chrisman, you know, being you know. I'm going to be nice to Andy and say, Andy Christmas as a guy in his late 40s. He's a seasoned. <laughs> he's seasoned. We'll just say that. I don't think he has his senior citizen card just yet. But no, uh, if, he's, if he ever hears this, he'll kill me. I think the way that someone with his life experience versus the way a, a young guy um, will sing a song is going to be different because some of those words, you just, they carry greater weight. So you would, you would express them differently. So say all that to say, um, getting the exact content to be able to develop lighting too is incredibly important because I don't want to ever, going back to your example of the set, uh, I don't want to ever program lighting to be too big or too expressive and then not have the, um, the music, the moment, the element, whatever, be able to support that. So what I've told people before is uh, worship teams need to earn the lighting that, that we give them. And I don't mean that in a condescending fashion. I mean that if a if I develop this awesome dramatic you know programming for a song, and then a worship team doesn't get up there and do their part, and they don't bring the emotion to that that I've thought they were going to, then that what you described is going to happen. People in the audience will go, "Oh, well, these lights look really neat," but there's a disconnect. It it doesn't. I'm hearing one thing, and what I'm seeing looks bigger, looks more dramatic, looks more intense. So we have to be in exact lockstep, exact you know correlation with with the content coming from the stage, or or we're no longer telling the story. We're telling a different story. Why do you think so many people uh, look to the concert? Like, what is it that you're seeing? You know, just you know, as as again, churches are trying to figure this out or whatever. You know, what are the, some of the things that they're pulling from that concert side of things that you're that would be better suited if they if they grabbed that maybe from a theatrical side of things? Um, I mean, I think the easiest way to express it, well, first of all, I feel like you asked two questions there. Why do people look at it? Um, I think somewhere in our history as, as churches using production, which not to get off on a tangent here, but especially for any young people listening to this, I, I think sometimes people forget how how short of a time we've been using production in church. yeah. You know, when I grew up, it wasn't there. You, you might have a handful of, con- of churches around the country that had s- some stuff. I mean, I remember in the 90s working for a lighting company, some of the biggest churches in the biggest cities that we would go and do stuff with might have six moving lights, maybe. But then they still had the big giant whitewash of light that covered the stage. And, and there was usually rarely ever haze. And it wasn't used how it is now. It wasn't until like the early 2000s that we started to see production really creep into the church. So somewhere through all that, I think people went, oh, well, we've got, we're playing music, and there's, you know, we've got drums on stage, we've got guitars on stage. It kind of looks like a concert. Let's go look at concert lighting on, on how we should do this. Also, concert lighting is fun. It's, especially for, for young guys that are, are getting into this, it's, um, it's exciting. You know, it, it is definitely more... You get your chases going, and you got things moving around, and lots of fun things to program. I mean, no one wants to just program one cue for a song. I do, but yeah. Why no one wants to? That's what I'm saying. Yes, yes. I would say I want to, but 20 years ago, would I have said that? Probably not. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's more interesting for the person doing it, and I, I think 
that's a place where we've kind of gotten off track a little bit is, and, and I'm going to make a lot of enemies with this next statement, but, um, we we have not exactly figured out the roles of lighting and lighting designers and lighting technicians in the church world, in my opinion. I would agree with that. A lot of, of people that are great lighting technicians have been put into the role of lighting designer for their church, and that is not the right role for them. When you think about it, when they come into a sanctuary, an auditorium, whatever you want to call it, nothing is as visually impactful as the lighting that's going on. And quite often we're putting in young guys who have no experience doing it as the ones making the, the decisions on what we're doing. Um, I'm not saying young guys shouldn't be involved. I'm not putting them down. I, I was that, that young guy doing stuff for, for churches in my own life and for other events. But there needs to be a process of approval, a process of um, style and direction decisions being made at a higher level. Um, Often worship leaders have been thrust into this position where at a lot of churches where they're also over all of production. And it makes an interesting situation for those guys because they're like, man, I, you know, I went to seminary and learned how to play a guitar and I can talk to you about the Bible and which songs to sing, but I don't know anything about, about lights. No, and this is where the, the kind of the partnership, the, the team, I think has to be developed. You know, I, I was talking with uh, a church just a few weeks ago, and the guy made the comment. He said, yeah, we've got three or four different people that will come in and program for us on weekends, um, and they all have their own styles, so it all looks different. And my mouth kind of dropped. It, it's a, That's a comment I've heard before, but it, it every time I hear it, it shocks me of, well, that's wrong. I don't, I don't and I, I want to say this as clear as I can. That is wrong. If you have, if you're, what's going on on stage at your church is dependent on who is sitting at the console, you got to fix that. Um, there needs to be a, a, an agreed-upon style, direction, intent that you as a church organization, whether it's coming from the creative team or the production team or however that leadership is, is, is set up for your church, that you go, here's the way we think, like things to look. Here's the, the general style with which we, we like things. And this isn't something you're going to figure out overnight. Um, you know, kicking back to Church on the Move, if you look at what we did when I first started working there in 2007 and the way it looks now, which I don't work there, I haven't for years, but I still consult with them. I still do design work for them. It's very different. And it's gone through several phases yeah. through that. Um, but that's the thing is, is those phases weren't, didn't happen because the person at the console changed. Those phases happened because as a creative team and a production team, we discussed what was best for the church at those individual times. You know, COTM, um, they made a decision a few years ago that production's been a big part of their church. It's been a big part of the way they tell the message. They don't want to sacrifice quality at all, but they did want production to start taking a little bit more of a backseat of, you know, as far as like a Sunday morning service goes, where let's make it look great, let's make it sound great, but it's not going to be about these big production elements. We want to back off on our programming. We want to back off, and from a programming, I mean from a lighting standpoint, we want every song to look beautiful. We want every song to, to, to match the music visually and, and just feel right. But we don't want a bunch of cues. We don't want these big, massive visual moments. We want to set, set the moment and then let the worship happen within that. Well, I think that that's, 
you know, the reason why you know that, even using the word, you said beautiful, you know, we want this to look beautiful. The fact that there has been conversations between, you know, you and creative people, whether it be, you know, COTM or other churches or, or people that you've worked with, there's been conversations to figure out, like, what is the story that's, that's being told? And like you said, the reason it changed is because the church as a whole was kind of like their style was, was changing. And just, you know, we as people are different. Like what, what happened in 2010 and some of the big Christmas moments and things like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's what COTM was. And it was perfect and great for that moment. But it's not where it is where it is now. Um, one of the things I think is interesting about the story of COTM, and I know that, that this is part of your journey, is that there was a moment where you launched a second campus. And so in launching that campus, which was a smaller venue south of Tulsa, mm-hmm. um, it had to feel like church on the move, but a 2,500-seat auditorium is different than an auditorium that seats, you know, a couple of hundred. And I've asked Andrew Stone the same question uh, because I I feel like a lot of us that are in these smaller churches or medium-sized church where there's, you know, a couple of hundred people or whatever, we look to Church on the Move. We look to Church of the Highlands. We look to Life Church. We look to North Point. We look because there's such a big footprint. Like, they're on social media. We can see what they're doing. They're some of the best at what they do. And we look at that and we see that. And we're inspired by it. And then, and then we are tasked with how do we scale that down? We might not even use the word scale, but it's like, okay, how do we make that fit in our context? And so, well, they have these kind of movers, they have these lights, they have these different things. And so they begin to kind of copy that with may or may not going through the understanding of, of why. But what I think is interesting is that, so you were tasked with that. Mm-hmm. You were tasked with taking the vibe of church on the move. But bringing that down to a smaller venue that, by the way, was portable. So there's that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So walk me a little bit through that process as far as like how you approach that to make it feel like Church on the Move, but to make it appropriate for the space. Yeah, that was a lot of discussion. And um, <clears throat> I have a feeling, and I, these aren't discussions I'm involved with because I'm not uh, in that position on staff anymore. But uh, I have a feeling it's conversations that are still going on and will probably always go on. Like, I don't think that's a conversation you have one time and then go, OK, we figured it out. Um, I think it's 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 ongoing. Um, so I guess let's start out first by talking about some of the, the issues we faced. I'm going to expand on a little bit from what you said there. Yes, it was portable. Um, so it had to be able to fit into a truck and it had to be uh, set up and torn down every Sunday. Um, we had rigging difficulties in the room. You know, rigging is the ability to hang things from the ceiling. Um, so a lot of portable uh, churches use stuff on stands, and we would do that, but this wasn't a an old hollowed-out warehouse we were going to have church in. This is a very nice-looking uh, conference center with beautiful sheetrock that's all painted and, you know, ornate in places, and um, if you take a space like that and then introduce a lot of hard, callous technical production elements into it, they're going to stand out like a sore thumb. So we had to kind of navigate that. How to, one of the things about um, the way we did stuff, do stuff at Church on the Move, it's not just the what you see from sitting out in the audience. And a lot of people that come visit will comment on this. When you, when you walk backstage, like things are, there's no mess. Like it's just, things are organized. And that's because it, it's not just for the sake of being organized. It's, um, 
those things matter for a variety of reasons. Um, we want we want things to feel and look good to the pastors, the speakers, the worship team. We you know we want it to look good from both sides of, of the stage. And um, you know when you put yourself in a conference room, you don't you don't have a backstage. You don't you don't have areas to hide mess and to hide the technical apparatus. So all of that kind of decisions were part of what we're going to do. How do we do it and still have it all look nice and, and intentional? Uh, look look intentional, not just like, oh, we threw a stage in the middle of this room. Um, on top of that, this room has massive windows in one end of it, um, which that's a whole – I can talk about that part right there just by itself. You and the Saddleback guys. Yeah, so it, it's changed over time, interestingly enough, um, which is – I don't want to get down that rabbit trail just yet because it is a rabbit trail. But we had windows to deal with. And then most importantly, and to me, most importantly – the the discussion, the most important part of the discussion was, well, what is worship going to be there? What is our content going to be there? Because we're not taking Andy Christman and Jordan Weston and the full Church on the Move worship team and putting them on a stage. It's going to have to be different. It's going to have to be different singers. It's going to have to be different players. Are the quote-unquote A players going to go play at Glimple every week? Is Glenpool going to get team going to get the level of rehearsal time and everything that the main does? Like, how is that? How about even just the number of people on the stage? Right. So again, this all goes back to our role as lighting people, as production people, being make sure making sure we accurately support what's coming from the stage. You know, obviously I deal with lighting, but I'll kick it over to audio. If in a space like that, you have less people on stage. You're not going to mix that at the same volume that you would a bigger room with more players and all that because you're if you do it's going to have an it's going to have a disconnected feel to it. So visually it's the same way. Yes, we want to keep that church on the move vibe. We want to keep that church on the move feel, that church on the move brand if you want to use that word. But we want to do it in such a way that that is appropriate for the space. Here's one other challenge. It's not going to be me or one of my main lighting guys there running it each week. So how do we build a system that that volunteers can support and, and win at? You know, I don't want to put a, a system in there that's so complicated that Joe Blow Volunteer, who is doing some his normal job five or six days a week and is, gives up his time to come in there and volunteer, that comes in and it's so complicated that he fails at it and then feels like, he messed up, even though the real mess up would be that I put in too, too complicated a system. So these are all the challenges we had to navigate. So here's what we decided. First, we didn't want to use haze in that room, which haze, it seems like it's become a big thing um, that people have talked to me about over the years. And the thing that we at COTM have been known for, we used it heavily. A lot of our looks were very dependent on haze because we had these big looks with beams everywhere and all that. I wrote a blog about haze one time, and it, that kind of snowballed into, for a while, I feel like I became church haze guy. Um, <laughs> I was literally getting in like an email a week on, how can I talk to my leadership and to let me use haze? And I, I'll, this is, uh, I'm not going to, again, dive too deep into this part of it, but I don't feel that I always answered that question correctly. So I'll, I'll try to a little bit here. Uh, in the conversation at Glenpool, um, we chose not to use haze. Well, why did we not choose not to use haze? Okay, there's giant windows in the end of the room. Haze in daylight looks like mush. Um, you think about it, any, any lighting is going to be reflected by haze. So if you have these giant 
windows at the end of the room that are letting sunlight in on a Sunday morning and you have a room full of haze, it's just going to look like a big smoky room. You lose the ability to use it as a dramatic tool. Um, so that, to me, that was the first thing. Okay, we can't use haze. It's, it's daylight in a room. Um, that then drove a lot of the other decisions. Well, if we can't use haze, do we need moving lights? You know, for anybody that maybe hasn't used a lot of these tools a lot, the purpose of a moving light is to not see the light itself move, or at least in our in our context, it shouldn't be. What you want to see is the beam of light, and sometimes you don't even want to use see the beam of light move. Um, you know, some people just use them to create different looks, but if we're not going to see those beams of light in the air because there's no haze, because if you don't have haze in the room, there's nothing, there's no particulate in the air for that light to re- reflect off of so that then you see that beam of light. So if we're not going to have haze, do we need moving lights? Or is it at this point, should we just focus on saturating the room in color and the set in color and then using color to support the mood of what's going on? Um, you know, you, you t- touched on it earlier. Very few elements of light are as um, impactful as color can be. So we made a conscious decision to go, we're not going to have moving lights because we're not going to have haze. So, or at least we're not going to have moving lights in the traditional sense. I'll expand on that in a minute because we're not going to use haze. So it's going to be all about color. Okay, well, now let's introduce into it that this needs to be something that can be loaded in and loaded out, set up and torn down easily and quickly every Sunday. And it also needs to be something that a volunteer can uh, succeed with on a week-to-week basis. So... We chose to have pretty much the entire lighting system in, in there consist of a lot of LED floor lights that um, just uplight different textured panels we use. Um, but we made the conscious decision to go, we're not going to have a bunch of you know specific song cues. The first week of, of when we were getting Glimpole set up for the first time, I went in and programmed maybe 10 lighting cues that were just different colors. Colors I chose that felt good in the room, were impactful gave him a variety. And I believe for the first three years that Glenpool existed as a campus, they just kept using those 10 cues. So kind of getting, steering back towards your original question, we, we looked and went, what, what can we do and what can we not do? Where are our wins and where are we, are we just going to be swimming upstream too much for it to be successful? So we went, okay, we can saturate the room in color. We can we can focus on making it look good. We can focus on the quality of it. But if we started getting off into wanting to have a bunch of programming and a bunch of lighting cues and everything like that, that those were never going to succeed in that space. They were going to fail at trying to tell the story because they didn't fit that space well. They, they didn't feel right in that context. They were going to fail from an ability standpoint if we didn't have the team that could be at that campus every week supporting that properly. So we focused on just quality. So you go there, it, it sounds great at Glenpool. Is it's not as loud, it's not as in your face, it's not as effect driven and dynamic as it sounds at the main campus, but it doesn't need to be. If you go there, it looks great at Glenpool. We figured out what we could succeed at. We figured out first what was needed, what 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 are what are we trying to do? Then within that, what can we succeed at and what can we not? And we focused on what the wins were 
and built on those. I think it's really important, too, that there's a huge discussion on on figuring out the why and getting people that were on the creative team and that were actually creating that content and for them to be able to cast their vision of what is it we're ultimately trying to do, no matter if the space were big or small. And then you as you know production people that are kind of playing those supplement roles and supporting roles to be able to kind of figure out, okay, so, you know, what is the, the ultimate story that is here? Like, you know, there's that, that pursuit of why. And then just constantly, especially for, you know, I, lighting is something that I, um, I know just enough to be dangerous about. But as a worship pastor and as a worship leader, I know some of the things as far as like, okay, I'm trying to communicate this when we do this song or when we do this service. And then I can share that with, with our production guys, which are just, they're volunteers. And then together we can kind of learn some of these tricks and some, some trades as far as like, okay, if I want to be able, if I want something beautiful, what do I do? If I want something to be energetic, what do I do? If I want to, you know, same thing with a song, you know, we want to, to convey a certain emotion and take people a certain place. You know, how do you be able to do that with, with, with lighting? All right. So are you ready now for the bonus round? I don't know if I can ever actually be ready for the bonus round, but I will, I will do my best. It is coming at you. Here we go. We're, we're going to do the bonus round. It is in three, two, one, coffee or tea? Coffee. Early riser or night owl? Mm, man, I do better work early in the morning. I hate waking up. So a uh, little bit of both. That seems to be a general, like when we do this on the show, that's, that seems to be the, the, the general thought process. So New York City or L.A.? New York City, without a doubt. Crunchy or creamy? Mm. If we're talking peanut butter, creamy. Yeah. Favorite social network? Oh, man. Um, Instagram. Yeah. Favorite podcast? Yours, of course. Actually, <laughs> Besides <laughs> that, that's such a, you're the first person to say that. Uh, sure, you get I bonus bet. points yeah. for that. Yeah, but it gets said every time. Uh, I actually like the uh, Joe Rogan podcast a lot, Joe Rogan Experience, because yes. he puts on a lot of a variety of uh, of uh, people. What's a hidden talent that you have that only a few people know about? Oh gosh, man! Uh, I can uh, I can pretty much rap all of Ice Ice Baby. Really? And it's not going to happen. I also have most of the words to. Uh, I don't know if anybody ever knew that the Simpsons put out an album, and there was a song called Trouble. Okay. But the Bart sang. I can pretty much sing the whole thing by heart. I remember still, like the Bart rap. That was a thing. Yeah. If you could give a TED talk, what would it be about? Oh man, you know, uh, starting to do more and more talking and presenting in front of people and getting better at it. But it's definitely not something that I, I, I come natural at. So it'd have to be on a topic I feel like I know and I'm passionate about. And not to you know default to the easy answer here, but it would definitely be about how to use lighting as a tool for communication and how to exp- use it as a tool for expressing emotion. That makes sense to me. That's the bonus round, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much, That's Daniel. <laughs> So one of the things that I have just, you know, watching you and kind of getting to know you a little bit and the fact that you've had so many uh, different opportunities of experience. And obviously, uh, you know, I know you best from your work at Church on the Move when you were on on staff there full time. But prior to that, you were in the touring world and Mm -hmm. you were hired to design lights for various bands and, you know, and conferences and things like that. And then now doing things kind of on your own again and having opportunities to do things for passion and other churches and other bands, whatever. So, you know, here has been many, many years of of doing this thing, some before working full-time at a church and some after full-time at a church. Have you noticed that your design style has changed 
now when you design things for various events than prior to working full time at Church on the Move? No, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, it changed from prior. It's changed post. Um, and I kind of hope it never stops changing. I feel like uh, I hesitate to ever use the word artist because that starts to sound kind of high minded to me. But we are the, all of us that do this. We are artists in a way. And uh, I, I hope that as a, I think as an artist, you, you never want your style and approach to, to quit changing. Um, so, yeah, uh, absolutely changed. You know, with it's interesting. I got my start in, in theater in middle school and high school. So I had a background in theater and that um, never worked much professionally around theater stuff because there's not a lot of money in it, not a lot of demand for it. So that's how I ended up in concerts was um, started in my teens, started working for a lighting company uh, there in Huntsville, Alabama that uh, started sending me out doing lighting for concerts and kind of grew from there. Um, never had a plan to end up at a church. Um, you know, it's very much a, a personal story of how I ended up there and something that God very much was involved in and, and directed. So after 10 years or so of doing mainly concert tours, when I got to the church, I definitely brought that approach. So I, I, I share that specifically to say it's interesting. Now I'm the person advocating against that, but I brought that concert lighting approach. And for two or three years, it worked fine for us. Um, and then Whit George, uh, who at the time was the creative director there at COTM and is now the executive pastor, uh, sat down with me one time and uh, he said, Daniel, what you know, what you're doing, it's beautiful. It's very, it's very pretty lighting. I remember specifically using the word pretty. Um, he goes, but it doesn't make me feel anything. He, he described a couple other situations where he had seen lighting that caused him to feel things about it. And he goes, I, for what we're doing, I want it to make me feel something. I wanted to affect my my emotion as I observed this. But at that point, my style started to change there. So, and then the, you know, seven years or so of, of working full-time at COTM, we continued to focus in on that and develop that and, and hone that. But then expanding out, going uh, freelance again, as, as we would call it, um, yeah, it's had to it's had to develop even more because there are, it's interesting, there are some clients that come to me because of things they've seen me do before in that fashion. They go, we want that. Um but each client is also still unique. Where when you know when we say lighting has to support the content from the stage, well, everybody's content is going to be a little bit different, which means my approach has to be a little bit different. Yeah. So one of the interesting things now that you know the past four years of getting to work with a variety of clients again is that in a very short period of time, usually, um, I have to try and come in tune with the personality of their organization, with um, their wants, their needs, their desires, their style, and. You know, whereas when you're full time with one organization, you get to have conversations that will extend past that one project or that one event and lead into the next one and create levels for you to build on as as you're moving forward. When you're jumping client to client, you don't get to have that. The challenge is to perform at the same level with less resources in terms of time and understanding and conversations, but still produce a product that's at the same level or better. And it's it's created a very interesting challenge for me, and I've learned a ton from it. That uh, you know, I'm, right now I'm working on a project for Church of the Move again because um, they still bring me in for things, and it's interesting. I I still know that whole team. I still know what their intents and desires and direction and everything are from from just ongoing conversations with them. But I also take some of these lessons I've learned from having to work with other organizations and learn their style, and and I find myself introducing it back into my processes with with Church on the Move now. And it's, I don't know that I can expand on that in a way that necessarily makes sense. Um, but I will say the the you know the, the way that make 
might make sense for everybody. The, the number one goal with anybody I'm working with now is not figuring out lighting fixtures, not figuring out where I'm going to put stuff in the room, not figuring out what gear I need to use, what console I want to use, what kind of cool haze or none of that stuff. It's about trying to get myself in tune with that organization as quickly as possible and what their style is and what their want is. So something that I've pretty much started demanding when I work with a new people that I haven't worked with before is I need to have a phone call, a face-to-face meeting, something with the people who are making the creative decisions for your organization. And quite often the, the response I'll get back is, well, that's our worship leader, but he doesn't know anything about lighting. That's not what I said. I need to talk to him. I want to hear what, what music are you listening to? What is driving your creative direction? What is inspiring you right now to make decisions for this event that we're going to do? Because then I want to go listen to those same things. I want to go look at those same things. I want to try and get into that person or those people's head and understand their direction, their branding, so that I can tie what I'm doing into that. I think my favorite takeaway from that entire conversation is just how important the worship pastor's role is in the creation of the lighting design for your Sunday morning worship services, because your lighting looks should be a natural extension of what's happening on the stage with the worship band. It makes sense that the worship leader should be involved, maybe not week after week sitting at the console with the person that's programming all the lighting cues, but just making sure that you and that lighting designer are on the same page in regards to style and vision and things like that. For more information on the things that we talked about in this episode, check out the show notes at practicalworshipblog.com slash podcast 10. I posted a new video on the YouTube channel back on January 1st. I guess it's uh, it's my version of YouTube Rewind, where I share and announce the favorite practical worship videos picked by you for 2018. I've also been doing a series of videos where I document my journey as I start over at a brand new church. The third episode should release later this month, so make sure to be on the lookout for that. And if you've left a five-star rating or left a review of the podcast, on the iTunes podcast app. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. It really does help promote the show to other worship and production ministry leaders so that we can help more and more people. This has been the Practical Worship Podcast. I'm Dave Dolphin, and let's do this again next month.